Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, everyone, uh, and welcome to uh, another edition of Cleveland Clinic's Tall Rounds. Pleasure to have you join us this morning for this, uh, what I think will be a dynamic uh, conversation and presentations on out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Um, of the many things that we all do out of hospital cardiac arrest and taking care of these patients, I think is truly a multidisciplinary effort, uh, all the way from, of course, uh, out of the hospital and involving EMS through the intensive care units uh, and thereafter. Uh, and these are often very difficult patients to manage uh, medically uh, and also uh, brings up oftentimes very challenging conversations with patients and families. So looking forward to this session, we're gonna start out with a case presentation uh, by Zach, who is one of our fellows in uh, heart failure. Thank you, everyone. Uh, it's uh, an honor to be here. I'm Zach Giovane, uh, one of the cardiovascular medicine fellows, actually one of the advanced heart failure fellows. I also have an interest in critical care, and I'd like to start with a case. Uh, this is the case of a 64-year-old gentleman with hypertension and hyperlipidemia who was swimming with his family. When he came out of the pool, he was noted to be pale, diaphoretic, and complaining of severe chest discomfort that did not improve uh, with rest. EMS was called, however, uh, just prior to their arrival, the patient collapsed and was unresponsive. CPR was started immediately by his family. And as EMS arrived, the initial rhythm was found to be ventricular fibrillation. He received one shock and had uh, return of spontaneous circulation. And immediately post-ROSC, uh, the patient was neurologically intact and able to answer questions. Uh, an EKG was obtained. And the post-ROSC EKG showed ST elevations in the inferior leads, uh, 2, 3, and AVF with reciprocal change in AVL. Also some nonspecific STT wave changes in the lateral precordial leads. Uh, he was taken for coronary angiography. This is a shot of the left system. Uh, here there's no culprit uh, really identified, maybe some uh, mild moderate disease in the LAD. Uh, the distal portion of the circumflex looks aneurysmal. Uh, again, in another view, uh, no clear culprit uh, identified. The LAD is a large wraparound vessel. Um, and uh, again, uh, you can see the aneurysmal portion of the circumflex. Uh, but the, uh, the big thing here was on the right side. And so this is a, a angiography of his RCA. You can see a 100% mid-RCA uh, occlusion. Uh, the RCA was wired, uh, and you can see that uh, reveals a large dominant vessel. Uh, he underwent uh, PCI to the proximal, mid, and distal portions of the vessel and uh, had a very good result. And again, uh, just a final shot here showing a good uh, flow uh, post revascularization. After uh, coronary angiography, uh, he was transferred to the CICU in stable uh, condition, both hemodynamically and was neurologically intact. Uh, targeted temperature management was not indicated. Uh, left and right ventricular function uh, were preserved. You can see over the uh, course of uh, his time in the CICU, he had a, a prominent uh, troponin and CKMB uh, leak. The ST elevations that were initially present had resolved post-revascularization. He was continued on aspirin, ticagrelor, and a statin, and along with risk factor modification, 
uh, was ordered for cardiac rehabilitation. He was discharged without inc uh, incident, continues to do well. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to shift gears and build upon um, our great talks already um, and kind of expand about what Dr. Whitman uh, just talked about, as well as what Dr. Beijer will be talking about, and specifically discuss the role of PCI in patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So as we'll reinforce through a couple of talks today, the role of the cath lab is not just to do PCI in every patient that has an arrest. And, and as we'll discuss, it's not, it's not appropriate for everyone. There is a subset of patients that benefit, but defining that, that subset is very important. And, and although PCI is technically the same, patients without a hospital arrest are often critically ill and unstable. So there's a higher um, incidence of, of mechanical circulatory support either before or after PCI. So the strategy really revolves around the decision to pursue catheterization in the first place and the timing of catheterization. And then if coronary artery disease is found, which is very common, if PCI should be formed um, in, in those patients. So the decision about the timing of coronary angiography is really based on the type of the arrest, which then leads to what we estimate the mechanism to be. And that's not always uh, clear because unfortunately, although our EMS team does a great job in getting a, a rhythm uh, stripped for us uh, in, in, in most patients, very rarely do we have a clear cut cause. Maybe someone had crushing chest pain. They went down, they were, they were found to be in VF. Those are kind of the, the patients that we, we have a very clear um, uh, a plausible explanation for ischemia being the cause. However, as, as, uh, as, uh, as Tom Beers mentioned, oftentimes patients are found with asystole or PEA. Um, and then after ROSC, they have SD segment elevation. So what, what is the real cause in those patients? So the type of arrest guides us and we stratify based on the initial rhythm and then the pre and post ECG. So Patients with SD segment elevation on their ECG prior to or after ROSC, which is due to a presumed ischemic cause, should undergo immediate coronary angiography. And those patients we treat as having an SD segment elevation MI. Important though to recognize that not all post-arrest SD segment elevation is coronary ischemia. Oftentimes these patients are, are hyperkalemic due to metabolic acidosis. They may have baseline ECG changes, which are important to consider, but um, as we all appreciate, uh, the, the changes in acidosis uh, can mimic uh, SD segment elevation MI, so very important to keep that in mind. There's an ECG of a patient with hyperkalemia, and as the potassium rises due to acidosis, um, this can uh, be very hard to discern uh, if this is due to coronary ischemia or not. But this is a, a case of someone who came in with a classic story. They were at home, had a witness rest, had just uh, you know a CPR done immediately. Um, as you can see here, the initial ECG post-ROSC showed ST segment elevation in AVR, um, the anterior uh, septal leads, um, and just profound ST segment depressions. This is global myocardial ischemia and an injury pattern in someone that actually had left main disease. They were very unstable, so an impella was placed to support them, and they had bifurcation PCI done with, with a good result. And that patient was discharged home with full neurologic recovery. So those are the clear-cut cases that we wish everybody um, uh, was like. However, as we know, not everyone uh, is as clear-cut or has ST segment elevation on ECG. And in those patients that have a VT or VF arrest without ST segment elevation, it gets to be more nuanced, but we still strongly recommend heart catheterization because up to about a third of patients will, will have a culprit lesion uh, on catheterization. 
And then the true nuance comes in, in what I would consider probably at least half, if not most of our patients, and those patients that have a PA arrest without ST segment elevation. And, and, and that's where we triage to the ICU and we make a decision about catheterization based on their underlying comorbidities and likelihood that ischemia is what drove the PA arrest. So we have defined certain unfavorable resuscitation features as we, as we briefly touched on already, but um, an unwitnessed arrest with a prolonged downtime and a non-VF rhythm are probably the strongest predictors of a poor outcome. That correlates with very low pH, a lactic uh, acid, uh, uh, lactate elevation, and then obviously all the comorbidities that come in line with patients who are older and sicker in general. So in patients that have at least two of these unfavorable resuscitation features, consideration should be given to uh, CCU triage and then discussion with the team prior to cardiac catheterization. This is the policy that we have in place as an interventional section and really just stressing this team-based approach to making a decision about taking a patient to the, to the cath lab. In patients that we do take to the cath lab that have coronary artery disease discovered and don't have an obvious ischemic etiology of their arrest, then we um, encourage discussion with a second interventional colleague, especially prior to placing mechanical circulatory support. Um, we um, have the um, uh, great luxury of having a, a great shock team here, which we also involve in our decision-making um, in patients that have MCS and needs to stay in after the cath lab, um, because these are nuanced decisions and we need the whole team involved, um, not just in who's taking care of them in the lab, but who will be taking care of them afterwards. We have data to support this, um, this strategy. We, we did a meta-analysis here at the Cleveland Clinic looking at 11 RCTs of patients with out-of-hospital arrest without ST segment elevation on ECG. We looked at the timing of cardiac catheterization, either an early cardiac cath, meaning less than 24 hours, or a non-early or delayed cardiac catheterization, either having more than 24 hours or not even having a cath at all. And what we found was that there was no difference in mortality or neurologic outcomes. There's also no difference of whether or not patients were likely to receive PCI or their PCI outcomes based on when you stratify the timing of catheterization. So putting it all together, uh, we've uh, come up with this ACE framework, which is assess the patient for the cardiac status, their non-cardiac status, and their unfavorable resuscitation features. You consult with both us as interventional cardiology as well as a CCU team and the family to define expectations. Consider the realistic outcomes of what the treatment would be, and then plan ahead of whether or not you think mechanical circulatory support would be needed. And in patients with an out-of-hospital arrest without SC7 and elevation on ECG, there isn't as much of a reason to rush. We have time to talk about this and think because these are often the patients that will unfortunately not do as well. So in summary, patients with an out-of-hospital arrest and ST segment elevation on ECG, they should be treated as STEMI. And those are more of the clear-cut cases because they have a presumed ischemic cause. If they have VT or VF, we strongly recommend a heart catheterization. However, there are still non-cardiac causes or non-ischemic causes for that. Risk stratification is important in all their patients. And this is where Dr. Bezier will um, step in and talk about where should the stop sign be prior to the cath lab so that we can deliver the best care, the most efficient care, and ultimately help our patients get the best outcome without subjecting them to unnecessary procedures. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.